and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Okay, so that uh, kind of sort of lived up to the hype. My God, Jesse. Last night we saw maybe what, like the most talked about game of the year? And that's saying something. Like we, we, we just saw a 9-6 game two weeks ago, right? The Oilers, man. The Oilers. Is, is that it? Just the Oilers? My God. And yet still, game one of the Oilers' as had more talking points than Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Oof. And that's saying a lot. Oof. Elliot Friedman still sorting through his DMs and the references to his... Anatomy will join us a little later on to discuss what was an intense game one, to say the least. And as always, we want to discuss it with you. So at Tim and Friends on Twitter and the Gram is where you can find Jesse Rubinoff and I during the show. And hell near 24-7, we have got you covered at Tim and Friends. We will break down Kale McCarr's goal as best we can, get your reaction in first things first and throughout the show. But it's... Not just a hockey show today. Jays won their sixth straight ball game last night. Yet another one-run game. And we'll talk to a guy who has a lot to do with just how in the good name of Ernie Whit, the Jays are already 15-7 and seven in one-run games. Do you get the cool whip yet? Yeah, no, I'm a fan. You're a fan? I like when you, yeah, I, I like it. Whip. Have, have you watched Family Guy? I've seen episodes. I didn't watch like seasons front to back. Right. That's where it's from. Yeah. No, no, no. Cool. I got I got that part. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because when I did it the first time, you're like, what the hell? Oh, are you I had doing? no idea. I was just like, why is he pronouncing whip like that? Right. And and, and then someone showed you cool family guy. Yeah. Yes. What'd you say? Uh, yeah. You can't have a pie without cool whip. Yeah, there you go. Whip, cool whip. <laughs> cool whip. Yeah. Why are you saying it like that? I actually had whip. um I don't know why I didn't think about this, but I had uh, strawberries and cool whip yesterday oh did you yeah a little wibbledon action and I just, yeah yeah and i just i guess i just blanked it was, on it. It was no it was in your head right there's right. some synergy there yes. uh all right kids <laughs> it's going down i'm yelling simber adam simber that's right kids he will join us to discuss the jays and his ridiculous numbers as a member of the toronto blue jays adam simber coming up also coming up fresh off of ratifying a new cba CFL back in action with the regular season starting next week. Commissioner Randy Ambrosi is coming in studio to discuss the season and how and why we just had one of the second strike in the long and storied history of the CFL. Now, normally that's enough, but hold on, hold on. I'm not done. I feel like Dr. Ho telling you that there is more to this deal because there is. Martin St. Louis officially the 32nd head coach of the Montreal Canadiens will join us in the second nice. hour. Too sweet to be sour. Jesse, we should get Shane right on at the same time. Should we do that? Just let it happen naturally? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, organically, is yeah. it is it confirmed that it'll be Shane right, or we just let it happen? It let it happen. Okay, yeah. let it happen. Either way, it should Pain be fun. Pain for Shane. <laughs> Either way, it should be fun to talk with the head coach of the Habs, Martin St. Louis, coming up in about an hour's time. But as always, we kick off the festivities with one Jesse Rubinoff and first things first. So what's the talk? Bunny LaRock. Uh, you think there's a bit to talk about? Yeah, that's why a I asked you. Bit? That's why I asked you what's the talk about the Rock. Bit. Okay, so uh, what a start, as Timmy said, to the Western Conference Finals in Denver last night. The Oilers trailed 7-3 in the second period. 
came all the way back to make it 7-6 until Gabriel Landeskog put the game away with Colorado's eighth goal of the game with under 30 seconds to go. Was the start of this series somehow even better than you thought it would be, Timmy? Yes, and after four hours, I called my doctor. <laughs> Full disclosure, in the midst of yesterday's show, I thought I might be overselling the whole thing, like just hyping up all the offensive firepower that was on mm -hmm. the ice. And in the midst of last night's game, I thought I may have undersold it. Like, it was unbelievable. I had a feeling it was going to be a high-scoring affair, but I'm going to be honest, the whole... 14 goal all four goalie affair was something that I did not see coming no you? no uh, but I, I think there are a lot of positives I know that obviously the, the Oilers lose the game and you know no moral victories but to be able to kind of storm back from 7-3 against a team that many think are, is pretty impenetrable I think that's a that's a major positive that you can take away moving forward. Very Six similar to that team. Yeah, very similar to the game one against the Flames. Very right? similar, yeah. Where yeah. people discounted the six goals that the that the Oilers ended up scoring, and yeah. then you saw, well, maybe maybe they were onto something in game yeah. one. Now I don't know if you want to dig yourself a hole like this every series because this is three series, <laughs> kind and of their three, thing now, yeah. And three straight game one losses, but listen. Um, I don't know what's wrong with Darcy Kemper. I don't know if we're going to know what's wrong with Darcy Kemper. Yeah. Uh, but the Oilers did find ways to penetrate the Avs. The, the, only, the only thing that I wonder mm -hmm. is what's the game plan for both of these teams moving forward? Are they going to play this high? Like, how do you try and button down two teams that know that their biggest strength is how fast they skate and how they move the puck. Yeah, I mean, this is the question going in, and yeah. I don't think we have any answers after game one. Like, I don't really know how you contain them. That's the thing. Like, how do you, how do you stop these guys? Well, but you're, if you're if you're Edmonton, like, you're not going to you try and play a button-down defensive no. style, you're are not you? The Flames. No, you, you can't. And can Colorado? I, I, evidently not. I, I think they would have tried to when they're up 7-3. Yeah, you would have shut it down. <laughs> yeah, and the do problem is, is that when one team scores, maybe two, then the other team's got to open it up. And that's when you get this track meet that was so much bleep and fun awesome. to watch awesome. in game one, unless you're an Oilers fan. And I understand that there were other things if you're an Oilers fan. So it's great for us to, to be able to talk about what was a track meet in a very entertaining game. Uh, but there was obviously some, some major controversy oh. in the game last night, just yes, a little there, bit. Yes, there was. Uh, so what was your opinion on the Kale McCarr goal? Was it offside or was it not offside to me? Okay, so here's the beauty of the situation. My opinion doesn't matter. First glance, I'm like, what, 95% of the world who thought it was offside? But the beauty is that there are a bunch of people who actually know the rules. And Jesse, I think I'm going to get up. I think I'm going to go to the 98. And I think we're going to explain this one. Nerd style. Nice. I am going to explain this rule as best as I can. Oh, and I need a pointer. <laughs> All right, let's get the... Professor let, Tim. Let's get a pointer out here. And this is a long... Is uh, this is a long... Ass Your arm's going to get tired point. holding that thing. This All right, well, we can bring it anymore. down. All right, all right. The rule is, mm -hmm. as written, until, until Kale McCarr touches the puck... Nikushkin is allowed to touch up and negate the offside. So until he touches that puck, Nikushkin is allowed to get out of the zone. 
Got it good and since you understood, forget for a second your preconceived notions. The actual rule is until Makar touches the puck inside the blue line, inside the blue line, Nikushkin is allowed to tag up. The linesman should have raised his arm and lowered it in a split second. That's how quick it was. Now I know there are a lot of folks pointing to rule. 83.3 because they went to the rule book and saw 83.32 made the rounds on Twitter which states and I quote if during the course of the delayed offside any member of the attacking team touches the puck attempts to gain possession of the loose puck forces the defending puck carrier to make further back into his zone or who is about to make physical contact with the defending puck carrier, the linesman shall stop play for the offside violation. All right, I tried to memorize it, didn't work. <laughs> so I'll do it again. <laughs> this line attempts to gain possession of a loose puck was the I gotcha, I'm smarter than you, Tim, you can't memorize this rule. That's for a delayed offside. This was a tag up. Actually, it was both really quickly, but it went from delayed to tag up faster than you can say Peter Klima. The rule is written for when the defending team has the puck on a delayed offside and an attacking player who hasn't cleared the zone tries to get possession of said puck. Not an attacking player like Kale McCarr. He actually has to touch the puck, not just possession, touch the puck. And I'm, soil, I'm sorry, Oilers fans. I want to crush the refs as much as the next man, but they got it right. Which is why when last night the Hockey Night crew, which I thought in the end did a really good job with this, pulled up other examples of the same rule, which a lot of other players don't know, but a lot of video coaches do know, and the reason they know and do know is because it's happened before. In fact, the best example was Michael Bunting back in 2021, then with the Arizona Coyotes. Nice hat trick game. Mm -hmm. He gets a similar puck entry and eventually gets his hat trick. But let's watch him. It sure as hell looks like he knows the rule too. He touches the puck outside the zone. Puck goes into the zone, lifts his stick up. See here? Picks his stick up. He waits for Connor Garland to clear before he touches the puck. It's onside. Would love to know. Would love to ask Bunting if he knew. Sure as hell looks like he knows. And there are at least four more examples that I saw going back to 2017 suggesting that not only did they get it right, but it's happened before. Whether you think this is the spirit of the rule is something we can discuss. But by the letter of the law, Jesse, they got it right. Uh, first of all, very well done, Professor Tim. Except, except for the part where I tried to memorize. Tried to memorize. Really. I, could, I mean, it's a tough thing to memorize. Stupid. Um, so, do you think the linesman was able to make that call in in or no? It's impressive. Yeah, Jesse. The linesman, like, he just missed it in real time and ended up being right. Mm-hmm. Right, like he, he he didn't raise his hand and didn't put it down because it was a tag up. You said he was you, supposed to put his hand up and put his hand down. Apparently, in the discussions that were had, mm -hmm. the linesman did know what was going on. Did know that was going. Did on. Did know what was going on. Right. But 
you literally saw how quick that transpired. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think an arm should have gone up and come down, but he was waiting for the touch. So when you show the bunting one, which is a very good example. Yes. You can see that he makes a, a legitimate. Sorry, my, my you can see he makes. Sky. <laughs> you can see he makes a legitimate effort to lift his stick. Like you can see that, right? Yes. He's like clearly not trying to be in possession of the puck. Correct. But Makar, that happened so fast. There's no way. No. There's, that was not a lifting of the stick. I think he said as much after the game too. Yeah. Like I think he said, kind of got lucky. Right. Didn't touch the puck. So do we want that to be the, the, the rule, where a guy okay. just gets lucky and that ends up being a goal? Because okay, if you, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, continue. Because if you flip it around, if this was the Avs in the Oilers situation, I think they would have been just as upset because I think it's an issue when that many players and coaches don't know the rule. Okay, but here's, here's the flip side, and mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Okay, so you don't know the rule. Because you don't know the rule doesn't make it wrong. Mm -hmm. So how do you change the rule to make it good? Like, listen, when for years I was saying you need to extend the blue line to the roof. This is ridiculous. If a guy's skate blade is off bit. the yeah. ice a yeah. smidge, that's offside. That's not the spirit of the rule. Mm -hmm. For this, you need to change the way you do tag ups. Mm -hmm. And if you take tag ups out. That's ridiculous. You're going to have a whistle every five seconds. Totally. So you need the tag-ups. The only thing that I think that you could do is say, does this player have possession of the puck? Mm -hmm. However, you're going to argue what possession means anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, I would go to it. Like, he's clearly stick handling. Like, I don't think anybody on earth could argue that Kale McCarr is not in possession of that puck right, right, right. there. Like, that, he just is. Right. So, so what I go back to is, like, I look at the NBA – when they're dribbling the ball, which is essentially what he's doing there by stick handling, are they not in possession when they're dribbling the ball? Yeah, but what's the possession got to do with it? You have to touch the puck. No, I, as the rule stands right now, yes. That's, that's the case. So what I'm saying, if, if looking ahead to changing the rule... Everyone was pointing to a rule. It should be, it should be possession. Like, I think that's what but we should... But then you're going to argue what possession is. And that's, you're going to have the same argument. Right? You're going to have yeah, the exact same argument about what possession is because I've seen it when a guy goes in over the line backwards right. and people are like, is that possession of the puck mm -hmm. when he's going in backwards? It's not on his stick. Is that possession? And it's like, yeah, you kind of sort of know, but you're yeah. going to have the same arguments. I think the NHL is getting into – I mean, it's a hard sport to officiate. Uh -huh. It's really hard, but they're getting into, into some, some deep waters here where it's a little bit convoluted, the rule book. And – you don't want the story the after these games. Changed, but you don't want the story to be this. And this is, we had this in the Flames and Oilers game with the Blake Coleman goal. Yes. We had this last night. And as a league, I'm not sure but, that this is what you want people to be talking about when that game was incredible last what night. Was, what was the response to our engaging question okay. on Twitter today? Mr. Rubinov. I did, I, you didn't give me a heads up. I would have worn it? my glasses too, and I would have taped them too. We could have done a thing. Were people still upset about the goal? Because last night everyone was upset about Is there a sober second thought here? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. And Because and, last night you're looking at it and you're like, well, that 99% of people thought it, it should have not been a goal. Yeah. 99% of people, including the commentators, including Jay Woodcroft, including everybody. Okay, so. But uh, that's not really the case anymore. Uh, so we posted. Uh, the engager a day later after the, all the reactions and explanations regarding the offside rule. Are you satisfied that the NHL got the call right according to the book, which is important, on Kale McCarr's goal? Uh, Timo says, can't wait to see all the challenges this will present next season, literally 
and figuratively. Uh, Scott says sucks, but 100% mm -hmm. understands that that is the rule. Uh, Lori says, I come around on it. It's a goal according to the rules, not offside. I think the rules are weird and confusing and inconsistent, okay. but that's I'll, not new either. I'll listen to that and I'll listen to your argument. Yeah. And you can try and figure out what the answer will be. And I think that the NHL Rules Committee will do the same thing. Yeah. Will they want players who will now do this? If you're smart, what you're going to do is if you see a guy over the zone, you lift up your stick, mm -hmm. make sure you're not touching the puck. Make sure your feet are still on the blue line, and then like we agree engage. that the bunting one looks a lot different than what McCarr did last night, right? Like he looks like he's actively, oh, yeah, like yeah. he like he understands the no. rule, he's thinking about it. Now that's hard to yeah. govern in and of itself, like to know what the guy's intent is. Like that's pretty hard too, if not impossible. But no one's asking that. No, it's never been asked. It's whether or not he's touching. Not the puck. now. It's not. No. So I'm just I'm just thinking of ways that they can change it. And it's going to be hard. That's my point. It's yeah. going to be very difficult because it's a yeah. it's a convoluted. It'll be thing. a rules community, but I'm I'm telling you, there are going to be a bunch of heady players, and we might see it in this postseason, who lift up their stick. Don't engage in the puck if they think it's really close at the blue line. Yeah. Well, excellent job. And, and great why job by thank the, uh, you. Why, thank you, Mr. Rubinoff. Hockey Night and Ken Elliott, I mean. Oh, yeah. He yeah. took a, he like took he, a he, beating He was the one who too. had the explanation right away. Do I leave this and on? And he then? just got, yeah. We're going to have like, him on later. Yeah, we're going to have, yeah. We'll so we'll hear it from, from him himself. Okay. Uh, obviously. TF predict, hashtag TF predict. <laughs> Trending number one, over 500 replies. Uh, to the hoodie contest, if you could correct the or guess the correct score, you would have won a hoodie. Nobody for the second time. <laughs> Whatever these go these games go with 13 goals, 14 goals, 15 goals didn't happen. Do I get this sweater then? Sure, you deserve Actually, one. I have one. You don't. I, I'm a friend. Wow. Yeah, I'm a friend of myself. Yeah, you gotta be a friend sure. of yourself. So yeah, I guess uh, we'll be bringing that back game for uh, game two. Game two. Yep. Love it. Uh, okay. Amazing. Let's go to uh, the Eastern Conference. Like, what a follow-up. Like, good luck to the Rangers and Lightning. I think it's going to be a little bit different. Well, there's two so contrasting styles, which yeah. is fun. Defense. Uh, the Rangers hosting the Lightning in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Final. Hockey Central gets you set at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. Now, the Rangers won all three of their matchups with the Bolts this season, but Tampa is rested after sweeping the Panthers in their second-round series over a week ago. Timmy. It's the question. Will there be 14 goals scored tonight in this game? Listen, these two teams are pretty skilled offensively, too. And I know we posted uh, a portion of me saying that the Rangers are lucky to be here. Yeah, we did. And left out the part where I said Igor Shosturkin can steal this. Mm -hmm. And Igor Shosturkin has found a way to find his playoff legs. And it'll be real interesting to see who shows up in this series against what is a very talented and deep team. So yes, you've got two of the best goalies on planet Earth, but you also have some very skilled offensive players, and we saw that all year. Breadman's good, Stamkos has had an unbelievable year. Yeah. Like there, Mika Zabinijad is on a roll right now. I don't know that this is gonna be a lockdown defensive series, but there is gonna be some goaltending. I don't care if they get a few by, I think you're going to still see some goaltending. Yeah, I thought, first of all, your, your point about the Rangers getting lucky, like, I mean, obviously it stands. They, they have had a, an easier road than most, but I, I did think their uh, skilled players really stepped up in Game 7. Like, you saw Chris Kreider getting two goals. Yeah, Adam it was Fox also, also against anti-Ranta. Yeah, they did, what they, they did what they had to do. Yeah. The road most certainly gets tougher starting tonight. 
Presumably. Let's go to presumably. Let's go presumably. to the Toronto Blue Jays. But Igor can do it. He like, can don't, do it. I'm, I never once ripped Igor. I just said he got a chance to get his sea legs. If the second round Igor shows up, not the first play. The Blue Jays continued their winning ways last night, beating the White Sox 6-5 in another one-run game at Rogers Center. We do it for the fans. Uh, with two great pitchers on the mound starting this game, these teams combined for 25 hits, and it was a big night for Alejandro Kirk, who homered twice and finished three for four with four RBI. Timmy, what impressed you most? about this win. Uh, that dude, Alejandro Kirk, is straight up raking right now. So oh, is yeah. Bo Bichette. But let me say this. It was the defense. And the reason why the Toronto Blue Jays have 15 one-run wins this year and they had 15 all of last year is because of their defense. Man, this team has gotten a lot better defensively. This was unbelievable. Lourdes Gurriel throwing to second and getting a runner and preventing a run from scoring because of sloppy, lackadaisical running is one of the reasons why they won that game last night and one of the reasons why they're great in one-run game. So their defense and where they've gotten uh, their top 10 in most categories in defense, and they were nowhere close in any of the last five years. So Matt Chapman and Santiago Espinal and Etal have played way better defense. What about Alejandro Kirk? Like this guy you know, started maybe a little bit a little bit slow and it hasn't been anything but slow. Like are we looking at someone who's moving towards an upper echelon catcher in the American League just based on they, his hitting they've ability? They've got a wonderful dilemma right now. Yeah catcher and fitting with Reese McGuire on the other side. All right, still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends. More on last night's controversial offside. Elliot Friedman will join us and tell us about his DMs. Habs head coach Martin St. Louis will join us fresh off of signing a new three-year deal with Le Lake Nedin. And we'll talk to Jays reliever Adam Simber as the team looks to make it seven straight tonight against the White Sox. But up next, CFL regular season set to kick off next week. I am going to take the tape off my glasses and talk to the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi. You're watching Tim and Friends on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. So excited that we're playing some football. It's great to be back, isn't it? <laughs> this is going to be a heck of a, of a CFL season. Adam Simber into the ball game. Up and away, got him to chase. He has solidly taken over this eighth inning role right here. I'm not sure exactly where where we stand right now, as I don't know exactly what we're going to look like on October 1st. I don't think we're a 32nd place team, so I'll just leave it at that. And this is dropped in behind for Yamalenko, who puts Ukraine ahead. And just look at the celebrations here at Hamden, and I suspect right around the globe too. It has been a tumultuous offseason for the CFL and to be honest, a tough couple seasons for the league as they and we navigated the pandemic landscape. But over the last week, the league and the Players Association sorted through some tough business and got through just the second ever strike in the league's long and storied history and first since 1974. Thus, we can get back to regular season football starting Thursday of next week, which is why I feel privileged to have our next guest in the studio, fresh off a ratified CBA in the start of the preseason, CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosio joins me now. Thanks for doing this, Mr. Commissioner. That's yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Does it feel a little bit like a, like a weight has been lifted off the old back? Well, here? I told my wife the next when I woke up the morning after the, the 
deal was ratified. I said I felt 25 pounds lighter, but she looked at me and she says, and yet it's not really showing. So, I, you know, you take, uh, no, it, it obviously felt great. And uh, it's now looking, we're excited to look forward to the season starting again, as you say, next Thursday, Calgary and Montreal. So no rest for the weary. You, you battle negotiations and then you go home and you have to battle the uh, preconceived notions of your wife and 25 pounds. Well, and you know, that's an ongoing battle. So that one you get used to. Understood. Uh, how excited are you that this is a five to seven year deal? Yeah, really excited. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I think one of the things we aspired to from the very beginning was a long-term mutually beneficial partnership with the players. This allows us to, you know, we're, we've been across the table basically almost nonstop for far, far too long. Yeah, now we get to sit on the same side of the table. In fact, we get to sit next to each other and really talk about the partnership that we can build. And in fact, there's a lot of features in this new agreement that are, are exactly about building a partnership with the players. Okay, so let's talk about that. What are the most exciting points for you in the new CBA? Yeah, I mean, I'd start with the fact that there's a revenue growth sharing uh, arrangement, and that's going to, again, really help us to both the players and the, and the league focus on how do we grow the game, how do, we, how do we grow our fan base. So that's one for sure. I think the fact that we've got some guaranteed, uh, guaranteed contract opportunities for our players, because one of the things we heard uh, from our fans, just like resounding feedback from the fans, is they wanted a lot more uh, roster continuity. So right. that's guys bouncing from team guy, to team. Too too much movement. So yeah. they they're really so that's a really cool feature. You know, we've got some enhanced uh, some new benefits in terms of mental health. We have some enhanced benefits for uh, medical coverage for our players. I'm excited about that. You know, an opportunity to really look after the guys that are, you know, entertaining our fans and and putting on the show. Uh, we got some flexibility on our rosters because, again, we heard from our we heard from fans. You know, they want a they want a product that's exciting. They want excellence and they want competition. Mm -hmm. So now we've got some features there. I mean, just I think the thing I'm most excited about, if you wanted to nail it down, is yeah. I think this was a win-win. I think this was a this has got a, good things for the league. It's got good things for the players, and now it allows us to really focus on building something together. I think I've asked you this before. In fact, the last time you're on here, there was a lot of questions that were lobbed your way. But I think I asked you this before. What is the Canadian Football League if it's not Canadian? Why was the ratio such a big part of this negotiation? Well, I, our coaches kept saying as we were preparing, you know, getting some, getting some flexibility in managing the rosters. We've got a lot of talented Canadians. And I think one of the things that we've felt strongly about is just how good our Canadian talent is. But we've got 24, I believe the last number is 24 Canadians on NFL rosters right now. Mm -hmm. So that takes some of that traditional Canadian talent, you know, out of the CFL. But then we look more broadly at the talent of Canadian athletes. Last night, uh, I took two Micks, Mc, uh, Mc, uh, Connor McDavid and McKinnon battling it out. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a beautiful Canadian uh, who's playing in the NBA Finals. Uh, everywhere you look, Canadians are competing on the world stage. I believe our Canadian athletes are the best generation of Canadian football players we've ever had. And so this isn't a takeaway. This is, a, this is an acknowledgement that Canadians can compete. Certainly our Canadians can compete, but it gives our coaches some, some flexibility. And then the other side, uh, Tim, is it actually also acknowledges that the American players who have come here for generations and contributed so much to our league, this gives them a chance to come and stay and play longer. It gives us that roster continuity benefit and roster stability we were looking for. So like everything, you're trying to balance, uh, you're trying to balance a number of factors, but 
I actually believe it's an endorsement of all the Canadian talent we have. It, it's funny because in the past, and you've been a part of the Players Union, there, there's been this idea that the union is split between Americans and Canadians and that they have, diff obviously an American comes up here, he wants to make as much money as possible, not necessarily looking for the long-term growth of the league. I also think that the Canadians in the union play up that they're looking for the long-term growth of the league, but they're also looking that if there are more Canadians, they probably get paid more because they become more valuable, simple supply and demand. Right. So when you have those two sides, is it incumbent, and I, in the past, listen, the league has been accused of exploiting that. And in the future, you're gonna need both of these sides to come together and find, was that some sort of balance that you guys had to kind of toe to make sure that you were getting both because the growth of the league depends on both? Well, yeah, it's a great question, and, and I, think you're, I think you're on to an important theme. Look, we looked at this holistically and recognizing you obviously have got 21 roster spots for Canadians, so we're, uh, there's an obvious affirmation of our commitment to the Canadian talent. Mm -hmm. But we also know there's going to be some potential tensions and, um, and competition for the American players. Look, one of the greatest, one, two of the, uh, just two of the greatest names in CFL history, Ron Lancaster and Angela Mosca, played as nationalized Canadians. And it was in its day an acknowledgement that those two players and many others who played under that formula came here, stayed, played. I mean, I played for Coach Ron, raised their families here. So and we, took ownership of the league. And, and, they, and, they, and they were, you know, somebody said to me the other day, they didn't actually realize that Ron Lancaster and Angela Mosca weren't Canadians. Um, they were so part, such a big part of the communities that they played in. So again, I don't think we saw this as a battle between the two. I think we saw a way to have them complement each other. And really it was a long-term focus on making sure we could manage our talent, continue to reward and, and, uh, and encourage Canadian football and Canadian football players to play Canadian football. And you know, somewhere along the way in the midst of all the bargaining, We've worked with the players to come up with that, what I think is a good formula. Okay, so it's been a, a tough couple of years, obviously. Is, is the league healthy? I think in many respects, it's never been healthier. And, really? uh, and I can say we've got a, now we've got a revenue sharing formula, and that has eluded us for almost four decades. That's going to really help. It's a, it's a way for the teams to help each other and make sure that they're supporting their partners. So the, you know, kudos to the governors for making that happen. Uh, the partnership with Genius Sports, which, you know, world-class technology company, world-class sports marketing company, really helped to lean in. I think that's going uh, to be a big advantage for us going forward. And, of course, now a seven-year partnership with the players. So uh, we've got great ownership across the country. Yeah. You know, you've got uh, Gary Stern and his, his pat lost his father, Sid Spiegel. In Montreal, of course, on the other end of the country, Amar Doman and all the energy that Amar is bringing. Yeah. Uh, and, and the groups in between, uh, you know, I think in many ways we've never been stronger. What I, what I feel strongly about is that we have a tremendous opportunity to use this base we built to build the CFL that everyone has always wanted us right. to be. I feel like we're going to run out of time here, and I'd love to weigh in on the genesis, and I'd love to get through all that. But the one thing that I wanted to get to was the, the, the exploration between the XFL and the CFL and how they ended up making a deal with the NFL. Was that something that you guys looked at and wanted to make sure that you kind of crossed 
all of the T's and dotted all the I's on something like that? Well, you know, the conversation with the XFL was interesting to be sure. And in the end, um, you know, it was always about figuring out, you know, was there an opportunity for both sides? You know, the one plus one equals three. Right. And, it, you know, and it didn't come to fruition. But there were things that we learned during that process. And certainly we learned uh, just how passionate CFL fans are about our game. In fact, Tim, that actually went into this uh, product review process that we launched this year. Mm -hmm. uh, started with the, perhaps the biggest consumer research study we've ever done. What did fans want? Uh, we involved the, perhaps the most inclusive process. We involved all of our presidents and coaches and GMs in, in a review. I think this hash marks uh, rule change is going to be really good for our game. But it all started with a conversation, how do, how do we make this the funnest, fastest, most exciting game brand of football in the world? Mm -hmm. And in the end, it was an affirmation that we can do that on our three down game and use this gigantic field, which is one of the greatest yeah. assets we have, use it to our advantage. The, the, I grew up playing three-down football. I'm on the record extolling the virtues of three-down football and the Canadian game and its influence on the American game and how many things that I think are better rules in the Canadian game. Was there ever in that discussion or in that review the idea that we may have to go to a four-down game to continue to grow and thrive? Never a we have to. For sure, definitely not. It was an honest question. If you want to have the, if you want the game that the, the the brand of football that is the most fun and the fastest and the most entertaining in the world, how do you do that? Right. And so you put it all out there, and then we brought a whole group of people together, and in the end, that conversation about four downs lasted about five minutes, right. and everything else was how do we take our game? How do we use this giant palette? that is a 65-yard wide field and 110 long and 20-yard end zones, almost 700 square feet more space per player. How do you make sure that you can use that entire canvas to paint a picture? And, and the energy that our coaches and presidents and GMs and the league office put into that, it was a celebration that we've got the right game at the right time and we can build a future on it. Uh, that that space also cost me and my speed. Uh, I'll tell you that much. So what what's big deep breath a lot of weight off of the shoulders. What's the next priority for you guys moving forward besides of course opening night on Thursday. Yeah you know we're really excited about the 22 season. Obviously we're going to go to Regina in uh, November for Grey Cup and you know the first Grey Cup at Mosaic Stadium. So there's a mm -hmm. lot to look forward to here. Uh, we're working really hard to activate our genius sports a partnership, the creation of this CFL Ventures business. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of foundation building uh, being done there. Right. Uh, now it's activating this new relationship and partnership with our players. Lots to work to do there. So, you know what, we took about a 32-second break. <laughs> uh, we celebrated the fact that we now have a long-term partnership with our players, and then it's time to get back to work, and that's exactly where we are today. Pop the champagne, one sip. Champion. Yeah, half a sip. Yeah, there was no one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Half a sip. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I could talk football with you for a long time, but I do appreciate you on a very busy week moving forward, coming in here and talking with us. It's always a pleasure, Tim. Happy to come back anytime. Uh, there is Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL. Time for a quick break. When we come back, the Toronto Blue Jays look to extend their winning streak to seven games tonight as they continue their set with the White Sox. Reliever Adam Simber will join us live from the Rogers Center after this short commercial interlude where we hopefully pay Jesse's salary. Hopefully.
Welcome back, team and friends. Jays look to extend their season-high winning streak seven games tonight as they continue their set with the Pale Hose at the Rogers Center. You can see it on Sportsnet 1. Last night, Jays won another one-run game, 6-5, over the White Sox for their sixth straight. Now, Adam Simber was one of five relievers that helped the Jays hang on for the win last night. And since he was acquired in a trade, the Marlins last summer, Simber has been damn near lights out for the Jays. In 61 appearances with Toronto, Simber has an ERA of 181, which is the lowest ever for a Jays reliever with at least 60 appearances. Tom Hankey is second on that list. And since joining the Bluebirds on July 1st of last season, Simber ranks second among all American League relief pitchers in games ERA and whip and what is either wonderful timing or completely planned and plotted the aforementioned Adam Simber has been kind enough to join us now welcome to Tim and friends Adam thanks for the time we appreciate you thanks for having me guys I appreciate it did you, did you building it up so much yeah did you know that the stats were that crazy no I try to keep my head out of the stats uh, so um, I get that. I appreciate you, 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 you giving them to me, but uh, I try to keep my head out of there. I, I know people have changed their view of this stat over the years, but did you ever think through 50 games of the season you'd be tied for the league lead in wins at six? <laughs> no shot. Uh, I guess right place at the right time. <laughs> What's allowed you to be this successful with the Jays? I mean, besides the whole being good at throwing a baseball thing. Um, I mean, honestly, I think uh, the defense behind me plays a lot into it. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big strikeout guy, um, so I just try to throw strikes, put the ball in play, and, you know, when you got guys behind you that, that seem to make everything um, look easy, it's fun to pitch. It's, it's, it's fun to be out there and just trust your defense and know that uh, you make them put a bat on a ball, that somebody's behind you to make a great play. Earlier in the show, we were, we were talking about this, and we were kind of crunching the numbers to try and show how much better the defense was this year. Have, have you seen a, a noticeable difference in what's behind you as guys get a year older and then maybe, say, a guy like Matt Chapman on the hot corner? It's always great to look around and, and see Chappie over there. But, yeah, I, I know uh, our guys have been working hard. Um, Bo's one of the hardest-working guys I've seen. Um, Espinal is a freak out there. Vladdy's great. I mean, you turn around and you see you see some Gold Glovers out there, and, and if they haven't been Gold Glover yet, they're going to be. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty special sight to turn around um, and, and look away from the catcher for a second and see who's behind you. Gives you a little confidence. I understand. It seems like absolutely every, every time I look up, you and Jordan Romano are in these huge leverage situations. Is that something you like? Or is there a part of you that's just like, okay, can I come in in like a seven-run game and just pitch to contact? Uh, I think it's fun. It, it is fun. It, it's definitely stressful. Um, but I think the more you do it, the more you kind of thrive off of it. Um, so we're, we're getting some good repetitions there. Uh, our, our bats are keeping us in games, and it's, it's fun to come in in those situations um, late in the game where it means something. It, it's definitely... Um, something a reliever should take pride in doing and, and um, 
that should be the goal every time is to go get big outs and big spots and it's, it's been fun to, to be a part of this bullpen this year. I love the psychology of the game and where you end up and I love the fact that you don't look at the stats but is that something that you were immediately comfortable with when you were a kid coming in in higher leverage situations um, when you got to the pros did it change at all or is that something just you've always been kind of comfortable with? I've never I've I don't know. I, I've always been somewhat of a nervous person. I think that's something I've really had to practice um, doing is trying to keep my my head out of it, not thinking too much. And that's actually why I dance around behind the mound. It's, it's I started in college. Um, I, I had a lot of performance anxiety, so I started thinking about just getting physical, getting primal, and like I was in a boxing ring and just throwing punches. Um, so that's kind of what I do behind the mound before every inning is like a little shadow boxing thing where it's just like turn your brain off step on the rubber and like just go mano a mano with the guy in the box. I, think about it. I was going to ask you about that because it obviously went viral because Vladdy's uh, over your left shoulder once doing the exact same thing that you're doing. Um, when when you saw Vladdy doing it that one time or since like what was your thought process then? <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. I mean obviously when I was on another team, like you look at a guy like Vlad, this guy's a star, and to, to come over and have him uh, welcome me like that, I thought it was pretty cool. He's a super humble guy, super funny guy. Um, so I think that that first week when, when I turned around, like after my second outing and saw him doing it with me, I was like, this is going to be a fun group of guys to play with. So that's shadow boxing for you? Like that's, uh, is, is there a guy that you're thinking of when you're out there trying to throw those haymakers and get primal? <laughs> Nobody in particular, right. but uh, just just a boxing ring around me, a man in the ring, I guess. <laughs> Does it feel like this team is, is starting to hit a groove here? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think that we we have had the, the belief and the knowing that it's going to happen, it's going to click. Things weren't really going our way for a stretch there. We had a grind of a schedule, and then we kind of hit a wall a little bit. Um, but I think we're, we're just trusting the process. We all knew it was going to come. and. I'm sure there will be times at the year where we're going to hit a grind again, but it's times like these that remind us that uh, we're capable of it, fully capable of it. We got the talent. We have, we have the, the group of guys that enjoy playing together. So, yeah, we're, we're having fun playing right now and um, going to try to ride that as, high, as long as we can. Does it get tough? And, I, and listen, you mentioned the schedule. It, it is the toughest schedule to start the season in Major League Baseball. Does it ever become a challenge to trust in the talent that's in that clubhouse? No, <laughs> it's, it's never a challenge to trust the guys we got. Like I said, when you turn around, you see some gold glovers, some future gold glovers, some MVP candidates. I mean, it, it's easy to trust. Awesome. I, I got to ask, do you get tired of answering questions about your delivery? <laughs> no, I've, I've gotten used to it. it I'm, I'm, I got no problem. It, that's good because I want to ask you if it's true that you went sidearm submarine at 14 years old. Is that true? That is true. I was scrawny. I was right-handed and didn't throw hard. Um, my dad said, hey, if you want to make the high school team, you should try to make the ball move, do something different. Um, and I, I was growing up in Seattle, was a big Mariner fan, um, and we saw the Oakland A's all the time with uh, Brad Ziegler. So watching Brad Ziegler on TV back then, I went out to the driveway with my dad and said, hey, drop it down, see, see if you can do the Ziegler. And, so I did, and then we, we decided to try it in a game, and it worked out a couple times I did it, so I just kept doing it. I started doing it full time, and then I grew a little taller, and things just kind of clicked once I found the strike zone after a year or so of doing it. So it took about a year? I would say so. Yeah. I think it was pretty frustrating early on with uh, 
just not really knowing where my body's going. That's probably puberty in general. <laughs> but I think that once I kind of like had my feet under me a little bit, had some comfort with that arm slot and just said, hey, I'm going to throw it right down the middle. That's when things kind of started taking off. And then I hit college and then throwing it down the middle didn't work anymore. So you had to start finding the corners right. and you get to pro ball and even the corners don't work. It's the pitch selection and up, down, in, out. So it's, it's a constant uh, refinement. That's awesome. I, I, before I let you go, I have to ask, did you hear Yankees play-by-play -play man Michael Kay talking about the size of your feet? I did. I got a few texts about that later. That was pretty funny. I, I have actually gotten that a handful of times. When I look at them myself, like, I guess they don't look that big, but I guess apparently to everybody else they look huge. <laughs> All right, so I got a grandfather at uh, size 17 feet. What size are those feet that Michael Kay was talking about? Nowhere near that big. We're, we're at 13. Oh, that's 12 in vans. Yeah, 12 in vans. Uh, that's not that big. And I can't leave on feet, so I'm going to ask you about the little feet in the house right now and the birth of your little guy. I believe River Christian Simber, if I got it right. I got two kids at home, flew home last night to catch a Little League ball game instead of watching you guys or hockey. Uh, for me, being a dad is different. Do you feel like it's changed you yet, or are you still too fresh as a father? It's still fresh, but man, the, the perspective going home every night, knowing that this is just a game, uh, there's a lot more important things in life. Um, and seeing his smile every morning, man, like you get back from a road trip and I feel like he's grown up just a little bit more every time so far. And this week he's laughing. So every time I see him in the morning and he like gives me a smile and starts laughing, it's just like hard not to get a little bit emotional. About yeah, that's awesome. I have the first laugh on video and it, whenever I need a little break, First laugh on video is where I go. Hey, thanks for this. Really appreciate it and wish you guys the best luck. I know it's tough on game day, but we, uh, we do appreciate you taking the time out. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. God bless. Now, there is uh, Adam Simber, one of the best relievers in the game right now. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, Martin St. Louis. That's right, Randy Ambrosio, CFL Commissioner. Adam Simber, one of the best relievers in the game. And now, officially, the 32nd head coach in Habs history will join us. We'll get to Hib's thoughts on the Habs future. We'll also get to Elliot Friedman and what happened last night in Colorado. A jam-packed Tim and Friends continues right here on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Welcome back. Hour number two here on Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe, along with Jesse Rubinoff, will be with you for another 60 minutes on both Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. We'll have plenty of hockey talk coming your way. Elliot Friedman will join the fray. Habs head coach Martin St. Louis set to join in just a few minutes, but we begin this hour. Game number one, Eastern Conference Final. Lightning Rangers. You are now on the clock after what we saw last night. Comes your way, Sportsnet, 7.30 Eastern time. Nobody is expecting the offensive explosion that we saw in Game 1 of the Western Conference Final with Andre Vasilevsky and Igor Shosturkin between the pipes. The Rangers had just one day off after beating the Canes in Game 7 on Monday with the Lightning have been off for more than a week after sweeping the Panthers. Corey Perry talked about the layoff earlier today. We're ready. We're ready to get going. Um... Yeah, it's been, what, nine days or whatever it's been. And, uh, 
you know, we've had some good practices and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy practicing against your, the same guys against your teammates every single day. But, uh, um, you know, like, like we said, we've, we've been bagged up. We've, you know, we've, uh, starting to recover and, um, we'll be ready for tonight. All right, I want to play a little super stat, meaningless number. Uh, Corey Perry, when he speaks game day, lightning 8 0. What? Yeah, super stat, meaningless number. Anyways, uh, Abs and Oilers both skated today in Denver after last night. Let it marinate, we'll talk about it later. Game one was unbelievable. Abs goalie Darcy Kemper left the game off a body injury today. Head coach Jared Bednar said that he won't rule out the possibility of Kemper returning for game two. On the Oilers' side, Mike Smith was pulled after allowing six goals, 19 shots. Jay Woodcroft was asked about his starting goalie earlier today. I thought Mike Smith was excellent uh, for us all playoffs long. Um, last night, I didn't think uh, we did much as a team to help him out in certain situations. Um, we'll determine Mike's status and Miko's status tomorrow. What I liked was our our stick-to-itiveness on a tough night. Uh, it wasn't going our way. We knew that. But uh, I think it's a sign of a good, good team and good group when you can stick to something. Now, there's a lot of things that we can do better to ensure that we don't don't dig ourselves the hole we dug ourselves last night. Meanwhile, Flames head coach Daryl Sutter held his end-of-season news conference today despite falling short in the second round of the Oilers. Sutter said he was happy with the overall progression of his team in his first full season as head coach. There's no long-time goals ever reached unless you can achieve short-term goals. And that was something as an organization that had to be for sure reset. And so we made progress in that. So it's taking that and and uh, seeing how we can improve on that. Gary, what are you most proud of in this group that you that you coached this year, whether it be an accomplishment or just an overall set of growth? I think just the meeting the standards that are necessary to be to get some respect back as an organization, as a player back, as a team back in the league. I think that's really important. The Habs made it official today, removing head coach Martin St. Louis' interim tag, signing him to a three-year deal. 46-year-old Laval native took over from Dominic Ducharme on February 9th. They went 14-19 and 4 under St. Louis, which was an improvement, but they still finished worst record in the league. Joining us now is officially the 32nd head coach in Canadians history, Martin St. Louis. Marty, thanks for taking the time. Uh, appreciate you a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it sounded like both sides were confident that this would get done, but nice to kind of make it all official. Yeah, no, I think we've been, uh, uh, you know, pretty much had agreed to term for a little bit here, but, uh, you know, I think Kent uh, was at the World Championship. I was traveling with my youngest boy for hockey. Uh, so I think this was uh, the right time for everyone. A lot of folks noticed an impact almost immediately. Why do you think you were able to make a difference with this team? Uh, you know, I think with anything, uh, whether it's school or sports, uh, sometimes you just need the reset button. 
you know, if you had a bad year, you, you hit the reset button and you feel you're not playing catch up again. And, 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 you know, so for in hockey to me, it happens a few different ways. I think it happens with a coach getting fired, new coach coming in. And if somebody didn't have a good start or good year, now he's got a fresh start, whether it's having a bad regular season and then starting the playoffs, you know, that's like a reset button, get the playoff going, or it's just a, you know, a whole new season beginning. So I think the reset button is important for some guys, uh, certain point in time in their career if they're struggling and stuff and just need a new environment when you took over this wasn't exactly an easy spot to walk into team in transition obviously you know struggling a wee bit you didn't have a ton of experience and as you already mentioned and people know you're kind of a family guy big family guy did you know at the time what your goal was was it just to help out the team was it this was it a long-term head coaching job in the national hockey league Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've been talking with my wife about this for a while, and I feel like, uh, you know, this was a good time for where we are as a family and how much, uh, you know, she's going to have to do with me not being around. And so when I took a job in February, I knew I was probably not coming back and just being a dad. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think our, our oldest two boys are out of the house next year to just be – my wife and my youngest one was 14 playing hockey and my dad will be able to help out and piggyback on some of the the weekends and so my, my wife can come and visit me and and luckily with uh, Montreal you know we come to New York play the Islanders the Rangers the Devils quite a bit find a way to get home and say hello awesome uh, listen your journey to the top was an amazing one for the kids who might not know undrafted grinding in the minors fourth liner and then Art Ross Cup winner, Hart Trophy. Did you always feel like that journey would help you uh, and and make you even want to be a head coach, given that you kind of had to take all of those steps along the way? You know, I don't know if I understood that when I was going through it, Uh, but I think you know how do you how do you measure experience? You know, Uh, is it just time behind the bench? You know, is it? on the bench on the ice in different situation I think there's many ways you can quantify experience uh, you know and the fact that I played American League I was a call up set down I was a scratch watching from the press box uh, you know fault line third line location and obviously I had some good years and and some you know yeah, a few some championship and, but uh you know, I think that experience made me realize, looking back on it, that you know, I had I had uh, not many situations I don't understand. I feel like the players that I coach, whatever they are, my bench, where they fall in the depth chart, I feel like I can relate to what they're going through. And uh, you know, I think I, as a coach, it's important to to communicate with the players, but it's a lot easier to communicate when you live what they're living. And uh, I think it has a little more weight to, uh, to the to the conversation, and uh, you know, and all those different obstacles that I face. I think uh, I think it prepared not just in coaching, but just in life and whatever situation comes in. You just roll up your sleeve and put your boots on. You go to work, and I think that's the same approach that I have. You know, as a coach, I'm not scared of work, and I think the answers are to me they're everywhere. You just got to find them, and I don't think I have the answers but I've always done a really good job at finding them and and, and uh, you know and working to find them all right well, let's talk about that work I'm, I'm no rocket surgeon here but we don't often see teams go from the cup final to last in the league how do you look at what you have in the room like rebuild do you feel closer than most teams that just finished 32nd in the league 
Well, I mean, I think it was a little bit unfair off the cup to, you know, lose the, the, the quality veterans or leaders of that team, you know, carry them play. You know, Weber was out, you know, wasn't back. Perry was not there. And there's a lot of leadership that they lost and obviously a lot of injuries in the COVID, uh, COVID year. Uh, but you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly where, where we stand right now is I don't know exactly what we're going to look like on October 1st, but I have a pretty good feeling. I don't think we're a 32nd place team. So I'll just leave it at that. How important is wanting to win now versus the growth of your young players? And is that one of the main priorities? I mean, I think winning is part of it, but not at the price of not developing the young guys. I think the, you know, my goal is to, 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 to keep building on the culture that, that, that was there before. And, you know, and I think we've, we've tweaked it a little bit once I got there, but I, I think building the culture that, uh, you know, guys are enthusiastic of coming to the rink and getting better every day and winning the day, uh, you know, and I think, you know, developing the guys and believe in how we play and, 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 and believe it, that what works. And I think the, the winning in my mind is just going to be a side effect of everything that, you know, of the process of what we're doing and, and, and the process itself. It's not always uh, winning. Uh, Sometimes losing is part of that, you know, because when you lose, there's a, it definitely makes you harder. It makes you uh, work harder. It makes you dig deeper as a coach. Sometimes winning is just uh, band-aids. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think we're, we're going to, try to you know have the process stick with it you know I, I like winning but at the price of, of not developing you know the young guys that's going to be the reason why you sustain success uh, you know for the long run I know this is more of a general manager's question but are, are you excited about the draft at home and having the number one overall pick Actually, I've never been to a draft, so yeah, I'm a little bit excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand. Uh, undrafted for those who don't know. Yeah, never been to a draft. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So you've never actually gone though? Like, even, I know you didn't no, go to yours. Never been but to a draft. At I've all. Never been to a single draft. That's never. Crazy. So it'll be a great experience. That's you know, and the fact that it's in Montreal. We're yeah. picking first, so it should be good. Awesome. Listen, we've seen Canadian markets and Montreal kind of swallow up great players with pressure and expectations. And and you know what it's like for, uh, you know, local kids or kids from the area who know the markets. How do you make sure that that doesn't happen to whoever you select first overall? I think you surround them with, you know, quality people and, and, you know, uh, any young players need some influence from, you know, older guys and good influence, uh, you know, and you give them the resources to, you know, to, and the platform to be successful, you know, and, you know, you can't just uh, draft him first and think it's just going to, you know, he's going to reach his full potential. You know, there's got to be a plan for him and, uh, it's got, you know, and we'll have the resource to do that. You know, and it's a it's a day to day thing. It's a month to month. It's a year to year, and you know, it's about uh, you know having realistic, realistic goals for for the individual, the player, and, and putting a plan together to and a platform to allow them to be successful. You're talking about culture and, and setting a, a proper culture for a team, and I just got to ask you, and this isn't a tap in, and I know it's not an easy question, but how much will the future of Carey Price uh, have an impact on the culture of your club moving forward? How much? I don't know. I mean, 
I, I, we're not sure yet. We're, we're we're carriers, you know. So obviously, we'd like a healthy carry price. I think that really helps our culture. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly uh, to what capacity yet we're going to have carry. So, but you know, any any uh, uh, any go- goalie. Uh, the goalie stature of carry, you know, when, when you have the possibility to have that and not have that, you know, it's, it, it affects the club for sure. All right. Before I let you go, I know Rangers and lightning going tonight. I don't know how much hockey you're watching these days, but yesterday's game is the talk of the town. Did you watch last night's game between the abs oh, yeah. and the oil? Did you know the offside rule? Be honest here. Well, at first, yeah, at first I thought it was offside, but then when we explained it, it made sense. Right, like the, it made, it made, yeah, the tag up, yeah, it made sense. Do you think that I play, understood it? Do you think that players can use that as an advantage? Like, if you lift up the stick and don't touch the puck yeah. and, al- and allow guys to touch up, it's the rule. Yeah, yeah, it is the rule. The way the way they called it is, I think, is the way is the the rule is supposed to be, where you know you can tag. So if you you know, to me, once McCart lost touch of the puck. I think it bought time for the player to get get a skate across the blue. I think if he was in full control the whole way, they blow the whistle. They would have. I mean, maybe maybe no, they don't right. blow the whistle then. Yeah. But you know, maybe they 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 it'd go the other way. Yeah. So but, will you but, will you teach guys to lift the stick for a split second if it's close? Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty. It's a heady play. Yeah, very heady play. Uh, hey, listen, I love talking hockey. Anytime we can have on a, a former cup winner, a former Hart Trophy, and the and now the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the time, and uh, felicitations. Merci beaucoup. Thanks for having me. There is Martin St. Louis. We move on uh, with June 1st. And, of course, we at Tim and Friends want to wish everyone a happy Pride. There are lots of people who do work 365 days a year to advocate for change. And today we are happy to shine a light on one of those doing it 365 days a year. It's Brock McGillis as a part of Scotiabank's Hockey for All campaign. Brock shares his experience as an LGBTQ plus player and hopes that to ensure uh, hockey is a safe and inclusive place for all who want to play. I got to get that down, the TQ plus. The locker room is an interesting place. It can be one of the best places within hockey. It can also be a really daunting and scary place. Being LGBTQ plus in hockey is lonely and we need to change it. My name is Brock McGillis. I'm an LGBTQ plus activist and the first openly gay men's professional hockey player. sprint coach working with some of my athletes on a track. He told them that they had 10 more 200 meter sprints and one of my younger hockey players said, this is so gay, I can't believe you're making us do this. And one of the older players looked at him and said, we don't say that here, give me 50 push-ups. And the younger player said, you're right. And he dropped down and did 50 push-ups on the spot. Smallest little thing has a massive ripple effect. There needs to be tangible change throughout all of it. Let's do actual work. Let's make it so it's for all. And that comes from doing work to humanize issues, engage and educate, and shift the culture to make it a safe, equitable place for everyone to take part. Let's make it for everyone. Let's make it for all.
That simple. Up next, we'll keep the hockey conversation going as we get you set for game one of the Eastern Conference Final between the Lightning and the Rangers and take a closer look at Andre Vasilevsky and what he is doing right now because it is remarkable. All that and Elliot Friedman coming up in this second hour of Tim and Friends. Coming up on Sportsnet and CBC, of course, Rangers and Lightning. 13, excuse me, 14 goals were scored in game one of the Western Conference Finals last night. We're not expecting the same tonight with two of the best goalies on planet Earth squaring off in the Eastern Conference Final. After some early struggles in the playoffs, both Andre Vasilevsky and Igor Shosturkin have been a big reason why their teams have made it to the Final Four. And while Shosturkin is looking to establish his reputation as a big game goalie playing in his first full NHL postseason, winning a third straight Stanley Cup would cement Vasilevsky's rep as one of the best clutch goalies of all time. You can say he's probably one of the best goalies in the world right now, uh, and has been for the last number of years. Great save, Vasilevsky! Watch Vasilevsky make this save. And it's stopped by Vasilevsky somehow! That's why they call him the big cat. What a save that is. There's been a lot of growth to his game, and obviously on the ice in his skill set, but I think just from a maturity side as well. You knew he always wanted to be the starter. He worked on his English. He worked on his communication skills around the room. And it was just a matter of, was he gonna be able to wrap his mind around going from a young kid back up to a starter? That kid would never be denied. Corey Perry has been a pest in the last couple of games for Andre Vasilevsky. You see right here, he backs right into Vasilevsky, knocks oh. him over, and a toe <laughs> save by Vasilevsky. That is something else. Playing against him, it's not much fun. He can steal a game uh, for you at any moment, and he's proven that in these playoffs already. You know, I'm glad to be on his side this year. Look at Vasilevsky. He made it look so easy. Great save, Vasilevsky! Staying with it with a left leg pad. Just brilliant goaltending there by Vasilevsky. Some of the saves, I shake my head on the bench. It's pretty incredible because there's not too many guys that are that big, that athletic, and, and can move that fast. He's one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive, you know, people that I've been around. Lightning strikes twice for Tampa Bay Lightning with their second straight Stanley Cup. Andre Vasilevsky, you are the Smythe Trophy winner. Obviously, we think he's the best goalie in the world. He's proved it, especially over the last you know, couple playoff runs. Seventh career shutout in the playoffs for Andre Vasilevsky. Sixth in a series clincher. I don't know what more you can say. He's the ultimate gamer. Anytime it's the biggest game of the year, he's our backbone. I don't think you'll probably ever see a performance in terms of you know clinching games, um, maybe ever again. You need good goaltending to, to go far in the playoffs, and we've been very fortunate. And uh, this gives you real confidence, that's for sure. Woo! 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 It's like, you know, Mariano Rivera in his, in his prime. Like, it was just automatic. Rivera deals. Strike three, the greatest closure in history, now has the most saves in history. That's kind of the feel we have. I mean, if we, you know, we've lost a game in the playoffs the next night, it was like, okay. Like, Bassey's got us, let's go out and do our part and clinching game, okay. We just need one goal. You watch these closeout games, you talk about a kid that digs his heels in when the light is shining the brightest. That's Andre Vasilevsky. 
It's crazy when you think about it right now. You obviously have to say that he is the best goaltender on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And if he continues this, then it'll be kind of hands down all across the board. But you and I have lamented, Jesse, uh, the fact that we haven't seen best on best hockey in a long time. Contemplate this. Two of the best goalies in the world are Russian. Like, yeah. when have you been able to say that in the last little while? I know Bobrovsky's kind of flirted in and around that, but I don't know if, like, Canadian shooters were worried about Russian defense and Russian goaltending like they would be now with these two dudes. I mean, that's incredibly uh, intimidating. Like, also, how do you choose? <laughs> that's another thing if you're the team Russia. Like, how do you have to choose between these guys? One's a Vesna or a Hart Trophy finalist, and the other guy's one of the greatest big game goalies of all time already. Yeah. Like, one thing I always uh, think is crazy when I watch Vasilevsky, he's massive. Yeah, he's like, I always big. forget how, how big he yeah, is. Big boy. And to be that big and that athletic is remarkable. You mentioned this to me while we were watching this. It's crazy to think that Shesterkin's just a year younger. It, 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 I was stunned. I looked yeah. it up at six seasons in the KHL, like a long time. And, and now he's got, you know, this is his first postseason in the National Hockey League, you said. And this is, this is a prime spot. This is his ability to really put, I think, sort of the staff down, his yeah. mark on this season, yep. which he has been the top goalie in the league the whole time. And yes, hands down. Yeah. When you, when you take the goals against and the save percentage, you've done good. That's what he did. And I thought that, like, we were going to see some early jitters. And you did see some early jitters, probably from both goalies. Yeah. But Shesterkin got the opportunity when Sidney Crosby got down to kind of find the sea legs. And that goalie in the second round, that goalie since Crosby went down, has been lights out. And it'll be interesting to see what this matchup is. Did, did I see correctly, Jesse, that the over and under for this game is five and a half? Not only is the over-under 5.5, the under is pretty significantly favored. Really? So people are expecting a low-scoring affair yeah, coming right. off of one, – well, one of them has, has to be a low-scoring affair. It is the NHL playoffs, after all. And they've have already, 14 goal games everywhere. Yeah, they've already put the Avs-Oilers game two up to 7.5 yeah, on the over-and-under. <laughs> this one at five – that is a low number yeah. for the NHL, but obviously these two goalies have – a huge part it's of that. Awesome. All right, coming up, Elliot Friedman's DMs have been flooded for the last 24 hours, and it's not all good stuff. You know what I'm talking about. He'll join us to discuss last night's absolutely crazy game one between the Oilers and the Avs, the Kale McCarr ruling, and who plays goalie in game two. Next, Tim and Friends. Showtime, game one of the most anticipated conference final matchup in years. Kickstarter for the Oilers. Star, Popper. The goals come 36 seconds apart. Here's McKinnon dashing in. Scores. Oh, there's a marquee goal. Scores. McCarr. Onside. They're going to have a And they say he doesn't have control of the puck. That's a bit of a shocker. Patrick. Ryan McLeod gets one back. Amazing the twists and turns of playoff hockey, isn't it? Score! Nugent Hopkins! Oilers within one! Colorado celebrates a game one to eight six victory! What a crazy game! You can say that again, Simmer. Welcome back. Tim and Friends Elliot Friedman joins us. No, not Elliot Friedman in that picture. 
More on last night's game between the Oilers and the Avs. Three of 32 brought to you by the first ever GMC 84 lineup. What's up, Free? Are you, are you still getting through your DMs right now? Is that what's going on? No, you know what? I just got a text from Ryan Walsh who said, you know, the, the producer of these fine programs, yeah. he said, Hey, Freege, all set. And I'm like, Ryan, look in your monitor. I'm, I'm, I'm on the set. Uh, so have the DMs stopped from last night? Uh, they've slowed down. Yeah. It's, uh, it was good. Like, you know what? It was funny. Nothing I couldn't handle. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was hilarious. You know, I, I, I appreciated the reference to the anatomy, by the way. <laughs> you right. know, here's the thing. And we were having this conversation today, and I'm going to update my notes when I write the blog later on tonight. And the one thing that I think it's a great point me and some friends were talking about is that if you're a recreational hockey player or you're the parent of a kid who plays hockey or you're playing intramural hockey at university, that's offside. You don't have yeah. a fancy war room with a trillion 8K screens in there making that call for you. That's offside. And about five years ago, the NHL started calling that play a little differently. But, Tim, if you're playing pickup with your buddies or, Jesse, you're playing pickup with your buddies or anybody out there is playing pickup with their buddies, that's not a goal. Yeah. Because you don't have Colin Campbell and Mike Murphy uh, looking at 8K screens and Netflix picking it for you. Or a linesman that's that good. You know, that was an amazing call. It was, uh, it was a really amazing call. Now, now one thing, uh, like he's on the other end. And so I'll tell you this, I, I, know, I know that at the NHL GM meetings a few years ago, Steve Eiserman led the argument that since we have review now, if it's close, we want goals, err on the side of offense. Yeah. So I don't know if, if that's what Brad Kovacic was doing or he saw it or whatever the case is. I mean, I had people saying to me, there's no way that linesman could have made that call. Yeah. You know, whatever the case, it turned out to be the right call. Yeah, Kovacic should have, I mean, literally should have had the arm up for a split second, but it happened so quick. Well, that, that's like, the thing. That's what someone was saying to me today because he's going from correctly, yeah. no offside, because McCarr's onside right. and the puck's outside of the zone, to clear. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a little, like, as quick as you possibly could move your arm up and down as well. So, so how long have you been in Hockey Night now? I uh, came in 0304, so this okay, so is like eight almost, year, 18th year. Yeah. Al almost 20 years for yeah. an on the ice play. Like, how hot was that? With that this two? one was this one was hot. Yeah, yeah. This was this was hot after me in the sauna. Hot. Like this was this one was this <laughs> right. one was pretty hot. Like, I, like, and you know the funny thing is like, you know, and th this is why we all get paid. Like the Oilers fans, they were they were furious at yeah. me. And you know, they're like you know, like a week ago, I, I disagreed with the call on the Coleman goal, and I still think it was the wrong call. And uh, th this week, I, I agreed with the call because I remembered some of those other plays. Mm -hmm. But it, they're all over you. Like you're a league apologist. You're a total <laughs> shell. Like it's it's just funny because you know, like there's there's not much you can you can really do. People see what they want to see, and they're fans. They pay our salaries. Right. And and the other part of this is, and I know you well enough to know this, but you, you go to the phone and you weigh what your opinion is off people that you well, trust. Well, and you I don't believe in that moment, Tim. My job in that moment, like Kelly can have an opinion, Jennifer can have an opinion, Ron can have an opinion. My job in that moment is to get the information. Here's right. here's why the call right. was made. Right. And that's I don't see myself in that moment. But I'm saying that you're going and making sure yes. that it's the right one by talking to people in the know. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one thing about the league this year is they always or at the playoffs they always tell us you have the number to the situation room. You have a question, you ask. call us, and I constantly call them and ask them. Do you think we see the same style in game two? Like, I don't know how they go away from what we saw last night was what both of them do really well. 
which is skate, move the puck. Like, how do you turn this down and say, all you right, can't. Yeah, like, how let's play a 2-1 game. Yeah. I think the biggest thing in the series is Kemper's health. I really do. I think that's the – I know everybody's still mad about what happened the other day, uh, if you're an Oilers fan especially. But to me, the, the, the biggest thing is, is, is Kemper's health. That uh, wh- where he is and what exactly is going on with him, um, that's, that's the storyline that looms large over the series. Uh, in my chicken scratch, before you jumped in here, I, I said uh, Kemper is my second question, and I'm not expecting news on Kemper. Are you expecting anything from the Avs camp? On all all, all uh, Jared Benner basically said was we'll see what the situation is. I just hope it's not – Related to the eye injury, that's what right. you know. I'm hoping so, um, but no, you know, as you know, unless it's a long, long-term injury, you know, for example, they came clear on uh, Samuel Girard right. when he had the broken sternum. Great they point. told everybody after yep. the game. So if it's a day-to-day thing, I, I don't think we're going to know very much, though. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but there's been some gambling investments made in the game over the last little while. Do we have any commercials? Yeah, I don't know if we have any commercials or any. Uh, <laughs> In-game content, he said sarcastically. But do you think the uh, the LBI UBI is going to change no. moving forward? At no. You know, last round there was a story about the Flames targeting Drysaddle. Yeah. Like that's why that's that's never going to change. Right. Um, I, you know, do, would I do I think that um, what I, what a thing I do think is that if you're ever going to have people trusting you, I, I think they're going to have to name goaltenders at some point. I think there should be a situation, like for example, in international hockey, mm-hmm. you know the lineup an hour before the game. Right. And, you know, I generally do think that that's something that eventually we're going to have to consider. Um, but I, I don't think injury disclosure will ever get much better than it is because, you know, Tim, like one thing we're seeing, the way these players play, and it's credit to them, they, they want to win the Stanley Cup, they play hard. Yeah. You know you've got an injury. You're going after that injury. We saw that. Game sevens of a series. You're you're going after we it. We saw it in the Battle of Alberta. Yeah, like there is. I know people will say, ah, that wasn't. It. But we we everyone who saw it knew exactly what it was. Do you think non gamblers care if they know who's starting? Uh, I think they do because they're fans, but I don't think they care as much. Right. You know, put it that way. Right. Okay. So uh, outside of. Darcy Kemper, which is an absolutely massive story, and I completely agree with you. What do you think the biggest thing for either team is moving forward? I, I just think that Edmonton has to find a way to slow Colorado down a bit. I, I thought the game the last night changed when Francois came in. I thought Colorado rattled a bit, and Edmonton got a chance to catch their breath and get going. But before that, you know, Colorado, like we, we're not used to seeing Edmonton get skated circles around, and, and it was happening a little bit. Right. It looked like it was a, a lot for them to handle. Um, and I think that that's the thing. You, you have to learn how to slow them down. Like we showed some examples of how Edmund, uh, Colorado was behind their own net and, and got down the ice in like three seconds. You, right. you, you can't let that happen. The thing about the Avalanche I really like about them is they've got a lot of players who are skilled and they're big and they're strong. They've got a lot of big, strong, skilled guys. And um, Edmonton doesn't have as many of those. They have a couple of the best in the world. But they don't have as many of those, and, and I did think that was a, a problem for them to handle. Last did time. you think the same? And I'm asking this honestly. Did you think the same thing after Game One against the Flames? I, I thought the Flames were going to win that series for a, a different reason. I just thought that they were deeper. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely. Because they dominated Game. Yeah. Flames did the same thing. It was thing the where first you, four periods. Yeah. They, 
like, and I'm not trying to denigrate Edmonton at all. I, I think, like, I, I think they're fantastic, and I don't count them out of this series, no. not by any stretch. Like, I think Mike Smith will be Mike Smith. I think we're used to, there are some games, and I actually didn't think he was, aside from that first goal you showed a couple seconds ago, I actually didn't think he was that bad last night. Right. I thought there was a time in the first period it could have been 5 nothing if it wasn't for Smith, and he made a lot of big saves. I think he'll be better. I think he'll be much better. Uh, and I think Edmonton will be better. But I, I do think that Cal- Colorado is a, a different animal than Calgary. The, the, he's, he's, uh, I've heard some people suggest that maybe Koskinen's uh, the right call. That, that's crazy. Yeah. The only reason you're not playing Smith is if you think he's hurt or tired or something like that. You're, right. you're, he's you're, earned the right from bouncing back in the first couple of rounds. I, I can't see it. Like Jay Woodcroft, and you know, one of the things that those Edmonton players rave about is his communication. They say he's great at it. If he's such a good communicator, and and I believe he is, I don't think there's, and he's got a good pulse on the team. I don't think you're pulling Smith unless you have a physical reason to believe it for game two. Elliot Friedman in studio. Uh, let's shift gears. Eastern Conference Final goes tonight, and I got a crazy stat from uh, Justin Bourne on Twitter before I hit the airwaves. If I it's Justin it. Bourne, it's probably crazy. <laughs> Last seven times a rested team off a sweep mm. has played a team that has just gone seven games. The team off the seven-game series has won. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like I, I Yesterday we were doing the rest versus rust, and I'm like, oh, here we go, rest versus rust. We're going to be talking about that tonight. So, <laughs> what the so hell is that? In. Yeah, like that's that's pretty crazy. It's uh, it's interesting. I don't want to steal. I, we just had our production meeting. And I heard what Kelly was going to say, and I don't want to take anything away from. I, I should tell all of. Kelly's yeah, stuff yeah, just give program. it all right. So here. here's what Kelly's saying the first time he speaks. Um, I, you know, the, I do remember some series where teams. Teams had like nine days off and they were completely flat to start another series. Yeah. I've seen that happen before. You know, the only time where I really like breaks, and it won't happen this year, is the Stanley Cup final. Stanley Cup final, the last few pre pandemic years, would be one day off on non travel days and two days off on travel days. Right. And I just thought it was great because it allowed teams to play at their healthiest. Mm-hmm. And but in terms of like having five, six, seven days off before a series, I think it's really bad. But this, like, if there's one team, and this is why I was saying it yesterday. Yeah, I, I'm if, with you. If on there's this. one team, like going. Tampa is a two-time defending cup champ. We just saw a story on Vasilevsky where we hear Corey Perry and Steve Stamkos talking about when the chips are down, this guy's good. It's going to be fun to watch this goaltending matchup. But if there's one team that I think might be ready for a layoff, this I, would be it. I agree with you. They're they're mature. They're smart. Um, they don't beat themselves. I- I'm with you on this. All right. So goaltending matchup, Shosturkin versus Vasilevsky. Did you see, like, I thought Shosturkin was a little shaky off the top against Pittsburgh. In the and middle of that series, he absolutely was. Yeah, and pulled twice, and he's been unbelievable since. See, I think that's what gains respect is, you know, not only the, is he a great goaltender, but they were on the ropes. Like, the, the, the train was going off the tracks, and they won the series. And Pittsburgh, it looked like he, they solved him, and the defense looked like it had totally broken down, and Shesterkin dragged them back in to win the series and the next one. That is, to me, in a lot of ways, that's even more impressive than his regular season. Right. And uh, I think he's a hell of a goalie. As good as he is, this guy he's playing is the best guy in the world. And he's the number one player in the playoffs. I guess in, Stamkos, in the piece, Stamkos compared him to Mariano Rivera. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think that's such a great comparison. Yeah. Uh, that's the like, 
I'm watching all these saves with Shesterkin, and I just think the other guy, the other, you have to beat the other guy. He's the right. best player in the league in the playoffs. Enter Sandman uh, would be fitting for Vasilevsky. So, so let me ask you this: outside of Shesterkin, yeah, who could steal this series? Yeah, he's good enough, and he's been good enough against the Lightning in the regular season. For those who don't know, he's got great numbers against Tampa in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Who else could steal this series for the Rangers? What, what do they need? Who do they need really going? I think three guys. Three guys in particular have to be great, and that's their best offensive players, and that's Fox, Panarin, and Zibanejad. And, and the reason is that what Tampa showed against Toronto was they were on the ropes, but when it really mattered, the, the, the way they shut down Toronto in the third period of Game 7, mm-hmm. like you're just not getting through us. You need your best offensive players to find a way through that. Right. And those are their three best offensive players. Your DMs are open. I've gotten some great tips over the years. Oh. Like, you know what? Like, honestly, Tim, like yeah. 95% of people are great people. <laughs> they are, I know. I know. Did you ever see that Saturday Night Live skit where John Goodman is the referee, and uh, and like they have like a call-in show, and like the first question is, "Excuse me, uh, Mr. Ref, did you have your head up your butt on that particular play?" (laughs) And he's answering the question honestly and fairly. That's kind of what it was like uh, at that point. Uh, Jesse, I hear you got breaking news or some sort of clarification. Not sort of breaking news. Renault Lavoie tweeting out. just a couple minutes ago. John Cooper just said that he expects Brayden Point to play again. Doesn't know if it will happen during the playoffs. He doesn't expect him to play in the third round, which is the big piece of news there. Doesn't expect him to play in the third round. We shall see. Did you see Did you see him skating today? Yeah, something looked like it happened. Yeah, right he, at the end. He skated a little I, bit. I, I and was like, off. oof. Yeah, he doesn't look in a That did spot. not look good. All right, uh, Fridge, appreciate you as always. I know you got to get back to production meetings and no, all that good this stuff. No, is, this is much better than... Stealing than, Kelly, than, Kelly Rudy's uh, information. <laughs> Stealing his information. <laughs> Believe me, there's nothing worse than a production meeting. I'm happy to miss it. <laughs> all right, Elliot all Friedman, right, Jesse care. Rubinoff. Uh, care, we'll guys. be back with nice last call. Nice haircut there, Jesse. Thanks, Thanks yeah, Elliot. Nice little one. I think you could use one. Uh, not until <laughs> the end of the playoffs. Oh, really? Are you growing that thing that's out? What, that's what he said. What's going <laughs> on, Fridge? <laughs> with the burns. I want to show I can still grow hair and this, this bald spot can get covered in it. <laughs> I thought that was a shot at me until you said the ball's biting. Last call is next with Ruben off. Tim and Friends continues after this. I'm- Count you down to the Eastern Conference Final right here on Sportsnet Rangers Lightning. Game 1 Hockey Central starts at 7.30, but we conclude this edition of Tim and Friends with Jesse Rubinoff and last call. Love it. Okay, this afternoon in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, Scotland and Ukraine played in a World Cup qualifier postponed from March after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And six months after their last competitive match, Ukraine jumped out to a two-goal lead and went on to win 3-1. Scotland is eliminated from the qualifiers while Ukraine will play Wales on Sunday in a qualification final for a berth in Qatar. Great story. Is it not, Timmy? Yeah, and to have that many fans in Glasgow for the game was awe-inspiring. It felt like almost fate was carrying them. In fact, there was a breakaway late that could have made it 3-1 at a 2-1 scoreline. And the ball rolled off the end of the foot, and I thought, oh, dear God, like is, is this going to turn on Ukraine? And lo and behold, they ended up getting a third. They ended up icing it. It does feel like a little bit of fate, and I gotta give, listen, um, the Scottish fans in the past have been noted for 
how rough and tough they can be, right. how much fun they can be. Uh, today we can add pure class because this is what happened after the game in Glasgow as the Ukraine fans left. Now keep in mind, oftentimes in international matches, the opposing fans have to wait like an hour and a half before they leave for fear of what might happen. This is the exact and utter opposite. Kudos to the Scottish folk. Thank you. It's not something you see every day in, no. uh, in footy. No, you don't see that every day. It's awesome. very cool. Yeah. Awesome video. Uh, okay, game one of the NBA Finals is tomorrow night. Takes a while to get going. Golden State is back for the sixth time in eight seasons and looking for their fourth championship over that span. While it's the first trip for the Celtics since 2010, a major reason for Boston's success the emergence of Jason Tatum. Today, he was asked about the team's shortcomings of the past and their success this season. Here's what he has to say. So there have been times where I question, uh, like, am, you know, am I the right person, you know, to kind of lead uh, a group like this? Uh, and, you know, I never, like, doubted myself, but, you know, just moments after those, some of those losses and, you know, the, the tougher parts of the season, you know, it's human nature to kind of question, you know, yourself and things like that. But, you know, just always stick to what you believe in and trust in the work that you put in. Uh, you know, and it can't rain forever. Uh, do you appreciate uh, the honesty? Like, yeah, because I think in that league, especially, you have to learn to be a star. Mm -hmm. And there are things beyond just putting up point totals and assist totals and rebound totals. Like there are things beyond numbers that I think we're becoming, as a, as a viewing audience, we're becoming more attuned to them. Like, think about it this way. Two teams that are in the NBA Finals this year are Kyrie's former teammates and KD's former teammates. It's crazy. While both those guys are sitting home and watching. And I've heard a lot of, of slander thrown at the Warriors' way over the last few years about who carried what, when, and why. And for them to be back and for the Celtics to understand their growth, I think is absolutely positively how you build the culture that allows you to get this far in the NBA playoffs. Yeah. Either you got LeBron in his prime or you have to build a culture. And both those teams kind of went about it in a circuitous route, but the route, the They're right. kind of homegrown, both, yeah. both teams. Both is, teams. Which is very cool. Without it, and, and had to kind of go through something before figuring it. Like, right. People forget that the Golden State Warriors at one point were trying to figure out if they should keep Monte Ellis or Steph Curry. Like, <laughs> that was a legit conversation. 
in Oakland. Monte Should we keep Monte Ellis or Steph Curry? <laughs> and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green created a culture that allowed KD to come in, still be the man, win championships, and even as he's left and tried to find it elsewhere, they've continued to be good when healthy. No doubt. And uh, speaking of Steph Curry and the Warriors, uh, they've obviously been here before, like you mentioned, when Draymond Green stepped to the podium this afternoon. He was asked about the calming presence of Steph. And here's what Draymond Inspiring you. said. He's never going to approach you like, hey, you're supposed to look at me this way. Which in turn, you end up looking at him more that way. As opposed to a guy who's like, oh, no, you're like, oh, like, out of here, bro. I have to look at you like that. And then, you know, it's like a domino effect. Um, but I think when, when your leader, when the face of your franchise is that way, you have no choice but to be that way. Um, what's your ego compared to his? Like, what, what, why would any of us care if you have an ego and he doesn't? And so I think it definitely sets a tone, um, not for only players, but for everyone in this organization. <laughs> so, so Steph won a couple titles uh, before Durant, won one with Durant. Um, what does this do for his legacy? if he can win another one. Yeah, that's the slander that I'm talking about. By the way, that was a shot of KD, right? Yeah. They were going Jay back and forth on Twitter. Yeah, Draymond was talking yeah. about KD yeah. when he was making that statement about Steph Curry. Yeah. Uh, I've heard some slander over the last little while about Steph needing a NBA Finals MVP because he hasn't won one. Andre Iguodala and KD won the Finals MVP. I mean, I think maybe when you look back at it, those who don't know enough will say something like that, but anyone who knows enough knows that he is the leader of that team and is one of the greatest players of all time. Now, will it help? Yes. Does he need it? In my mind, absolutely not. Uh, I want to get this last story in because it, it is monumental and you know I'm a fan of golf. Yes. Uh, RBC has uh, effectively dropped its sponsorships with both, both Dustin Johnson and Graham McDowell after both players committed to playing in the upcoming Saudi Arabian-funded Live Golf Tour, which begins on June the 9th. Uh, this is a remarkable turn of events. Dustin Johnson in February just said he was fully committed to the PGA Tour, but DJ is the biggest name of the list of players that dropped last night. What does this mean for, for golf, in your opinion? I mean, there's so many levels to this. Like, this has got to be a curveball. That tournament is the same time as the RBC Canadian Open. Yeah. Dustin Johnson always shows up, one, because his father-in-law is Wayne Gretzky, and two, because he's sponsored by RBC, and they've dropped him now. Like, it's crazy. this is, it, it, it has the ability, and correct me if I'm wrong, to change the face of golf as we know it. And a guy like DJ joining the rest of those guys that we already kind of knew mm -hmm. starts down that road. Yeah, well, the rest of the field is is not quite up to DJ's level, but he can be the face. And they have a lot of money to throw around. Like, I'm hearing crazy numbers of money they're giving up front to guys that have not proven anything yet. Like, millions. Of That'll people. be the key. Who can they recruit from the up and come? Right. To fuel the next wave. Right. All right, that does it for us. Game one, Lightning Rangers coming up 7:30 Eastern on Sports. Jays and White Sox over on Sportsnet One. WNBA action. That's right, at Chanwa Carlton and the Minnesota Lynx in action. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody.